Hello, everyone. I'm Alex Jewell, the Director of Athletic Media Relations at Eastern Michigan University. And I am Katie Gonzalez, the Assistant Athletic Director for Athletic Communications at Illinois Wesleyan University. And I'm Chad Cooper, the Assistant Director of Athletic Communications at Drexel University. We are members of the College Sports Communicators Diversity and Inclusion Committee. And as part of our committee's work to provide information to assist CSC members with their diversity equity and inclusion efforts, we have launched an Ask Me Anything About Inclusion series to open up the conversation about various topics. Our podcast is going to delve into the conversation as it relates to the LGBTQ plus topic. And more importantly, today, we're going to talk a little bit about microaggressions specifically. And so let's start right there because Katie, Chad, we've had this conversation plenty of times throughout our work together and in just our normal conversations as well. And microaggression, I mean, you want to talk about there's all these words that we've heard, especially come to fruition in the last half decade or so. Microaggression is a word that is tossed around a lot. It's utilized a lot. And a lot of people don't necessarily know what it is. And I think some people don't care to know what it is in some ways. And so let's start the conversation there with the, the topic of the microaggression, what is it? What does that look like? And I know there's lots of different acceptable answers for that. So it's a good thing to point out before I let Chad and Katie jump in that this podcast, by the way, is not going to be a, a dictionary surfing podcast. We're not here to tell you exactly what something is meant to mean. We're not here to tell you that you have to believe exactly what we say or take it as gospel and that the way we talk is the only way to do it. What this is, though, is an open discussion that we're having, and we're hoping you're going to be able to join the conversation with us to talk about some of the things that are relevant to what you've experienced, and then use the experiences that we're talking about to maybe just be a little bit more mindful in your work setting as a communications professional, someone that deals with student athletes, fans, coaches, and then also to spread that information as well as you encounter those situations. So with that in mind, let's have an open discussion, a fun discussion, and a beneficial discussion for all of us. So Chad, Katie, again, let's get back to that discussion of microaggression. What is a microaggression without looking in the Webster's Dictionary? So you mentioned microaggressions, and as you said, it's it's a word that a lot of people think is just a buzzword. It's you know it's the new trendy thing for someone to say when they feel triggered about something, um, and that's another word that a lot of people are not very thrilled with at the moment. But microaggression to me is simply an extension or a renaming of the old phrase "death by a thousand paper cuts." You know, it's not something that you openly see. It's not something that you necessarily can wear on your sleeve, but it hurts when somebody says it to you or does it because they don't even necessarily realize they're doing it. Yeah. And I would just add, I mean, I think the important part of that chat is people can, uh, microaggression can be intentional. It can also be unintentional. Um, And so I think the conversation starts with just learning more and being more aware of people around you. Um, And I hope that that's kind of what we get into with this discussion here today. Yeah, I think that's a good point too. I mean, Chad, Katie, you both mentioned it. I like that you say it can be intentional, can also be unintentional. And so I think it's important before, again, we move forward. I already mentioned, we're not going to be a a dictionary surfing group here that's going to tell you exactly how it is. Also, I think we're all the three of the first people to say that we are far from perfect. And so as we go through this conversation today, this is a real conversation we're having. I can tell you about 96 things uh, in this morning. We're recording this around noon Eastern time where I'm at. About 96 things that I've done that are, are certainly not perfect today. I know everybody can also hit on that list as well. And so 
I think it's safe to say probably all of us, no matter our level of interaction with the LGBTQ plus community, no matter what committees we sit on or what departments we work in and how the conversation has started within those, all of us, every single one of us has probably committed some sort of microaggression multiple times to people that we probably know and love that we've never would intention uh, have intentions of doing that to. And I think it's also okay to say that it's okay, right? I mean, the point of having these discussions is to learn from them, to grow from them. And so Nobody that's listening to this right now should take it as an attack. It's it's just an opportunity to have a discussion to start to understand a little bit more about how my behavior is affecting maybe somebody else or from somebody that you've never had that discussion from their perspective, how certain behaviors might affect them. So moving forward, we can all make ourselves better. We can make our coworkers and our staff better. But also, I think it's really important to come back to this. And Chad, when we were doing our discussion pre-recording, you had mentioned how about how it affects the student athletes that we're working with on a daily basis? I think so often we get caught up in our in our work and our coworkers and all that, and that we sometimes we forget about the reason that we're all in this business, right? A lot of us are in communication specifically with student athletes and trying to make an impact on their lives. They're also a large a lot of the times at a more vulnerable position in their age group than we are right now, and so we can have a huge effect on them. And so knowing how the microaggressions and this, the discussion re, uh, regarding the LGBTQ plus conversation as a whole affects them is super important. It is. <clears throat> it is. And one thing that one thing is you mentioned, a lot of our student athletes are at a vulnerable point in their lives. They're at a vulnerable age um, where you're in a large part of self-discovery. Uh, when you are in college, you know, that's just all there is to it. You're also vulnerable because a lot of the time you're financially beholden to somebody else, whether it's parents for assistance with rent or tuition, whether it's other family members, whether you're doing it all alone, but you know you're going to wind up a quarter of a million dollars in debt when it's all said and done. You're at a very vulnerable place. So I think one of the biggest things that we need to look at is how we interact with our student athletes and be conscious that we don't know what somebody else is going through. You never know what somebody else is doing, what somebody else is going through until you've talked to them and learned their personal history. And that's something that I've tried to, I've tried to, when I've spoken with some groups before, I've really tried to bring to the forefront. And it, it, it goes back to the concept of implicit bias. We always see other people through our own lens, um, which is actually where a lot of the microaggressions that I experience come from. Um, you know, as, as a great example, I am a 45-year-old cisgender white male. I am the person who you expect to have to teach the DEI materials to instead of speaking to other people about DEI because I'm the person who looks, who quote, looks like you, um, you know, and so you don't necessarily see all facets of who I am personally. That's where a lot of the microaggressions that I've dealt with come from. And I know if I'm dealing with those, and I've learned to work with those, you know, through the course of 10 years in this business, 12 years working in professional baseball prior to that. I can't imagine what it's like being 20 years old and dealing with that. You know, even, even in a society that's a lot more accepting of 
the LGBTQ plus community than it was when I was in my early 20s. I can't imagine the pressure of being an athlete on top of possibly people not knowing who you really are. Yeah, I think the talking about multiple identities, too, is an important piece because, you know, I spent the weekend at the NCA Inclusion Forum. And one of the big things that I I found really impactful and, and really succinct in how they said it was just because you have one identity doesn't make you an expert on all identities, right? Just because you um, are in one minority population or um, you're part of the LGBTQ plus, that doesn't absolve you from microaggressions towards other identities. And so I think that's a real important piece, you know, to talk about and look at. Um, and, you know, Chad and Alex, I know we've had those conversations a lot in our com- our committee meetings um, offline and in separate conversations as well. And I think being more aware is a great starting point in kind of changing your mindset and avoiding the implicit bias or at least being more aware of what's around you. I think there's a great way to around this discussion to remind everybody and have the discussion of the fact that what you just said. I think because a lot of people may not go deep into the word micro question or maybe have not had the opportunity in some cases to learn about what that means and what it is. And then some people just consider it a buzzword, like you said, Chad, and, and so maybe are trying to re-educate themselves on what it is. I think it's important to point out, too, that I think sometimes it just gets labeled as a race thing, right? And so that is certainly not what a microaggression is. Of course, there is racial microaggressions. Um, this topic that we're discussing today revolves more around the LGBTQ plus discussion, but there's certainly uh, microaggressions within that population and within that within that discussion. There, there can be microaggressions really regarding anything. So I'm wondering, before we move forward, not to put everybody on the spot, but I think a good example to kind of ex- to show this would be, I know, Chad, you already gave an example. If you, if you want to give another one, you could, but I think each of us could probably give an, an example of a microaggression that we've seen or been a part of just to illustrate that, you know, it might be a race thing. It might be uh, an orientation thing. It might be whatever it may be. And so I'm wondering if each of you would be willing to share an example. And of course I will too, just to get that conversation rolling and to, and to give an example to the listeners of how different these microaggressions can be. Yeah. So I think, you know, I have multiple identities, right? Like we've kind of talked about, um, I am both a member of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, but I'm also Mexican and those can bring up a lot of different things. Um, I grew up in a, you know, went to high school in a suburb of Chicago, um, where, you, it was just kind of a different, um, it wasn't the South side of Chicago that I had spent most of my childhood on. So, you know, you move up there, um, and you have a lot of microaggressions about off getting off the boat, you know, just off the boat, those type of things. And that hits you in one way. And then on the flip side of that, you get, you know, oh, well, of course, of course you're gay, you play softball or of course, you know, those type of things. Um, and I think when you're young, that can really kind of be like, okay, I can't bring this part of me to this space because I just, to Chad's point earlier, I don't want to go down a, you know, death by a hundred paper cuts. Um, so you kind of pull back. And I think as I've gotten older and as I've gotten 
more comfortable with who I am in all facets um, and bringing my full identity to different circles. I think I've been able to better frame my mind for how to deal with that. Um, you know, at a, in a work setting a few years ago, um, I was on the end of a microaggression where there was, you know, playing cards and a homophobic slur kind of gets slipped out and it's towards me. And I kind of like look at the person and I'm like, well, let's, let's not like, what are we doing? Like, come on, think about what we're saying here. And they repeat it. And I am in a large group. No one else is stepping in. I don't really know what to do in this situation. So I just finished the the hand of cards that were playing and I go, Hey, I think I'm going to call it a night. And I head up. And that night I remember calling my wife and talking and going through it and just saying, I don't really understand. Like, I don't understand how this happened. Like the person was looking right at me. And if you slip, like, I'm going to give you some grace. Not everyone's perfect. And Alex has done a great job of reminding us all of that. Um, But if I bring it up to you again, I'm hoping that it clicks. Right. And so when it doesn't, in that point, I felt like the best thing for me was to remove myself from the situation. So I did. Um, And I went through the rest of the weekend on this work trip that we were all on. And it's still, I was like, you know, if, if it's Monday and this is still bothering me, I'm going to have to do something about it. And again, talking through things with my wife and some great friends, I kind of found the point where I was like, I need to say something. And I don't want this to result in, hey, we all have to do this online training that you can skip through and that everyone's going to gripe about because that's not, that's not the point. So the point when I went to administration, which handled it better than I could have ever imagined, um, continue to be great allies and champions of diversity, equity, and inclusion, they said that, first of all, they apologized. Um, and that meant, it, like, that at least made me feel acknowledged, I guess, in that sense. But it also came back to, like, to Chad's point, you don't know what everyone's going through around you. And at that point, I knew people around me who weren't publicly out yet, right? Like they were still in that vulnerable state. Some of them student athletes, some of them staff. And that type of language and that type of dismissal and microaggression can be really jarring for someone, you know, trying to figure that out and trying to come into who they are. Um, And I think the individual that I had this interaction with I'm so proud of how he handled it afterwards. Um, yes, there was a talking to from administration regarding it. Yes, he asked permission. He asked if it was, he asked them to ask me if it was okay to talk to me, if I felt comfortable having a conversation with him. And just having that, that kind of invitation to say no if I wasn't ready for that was such a big thing that then having that discussion and seeing how he grew um, after that was really what this should be about is what we should all be striving to be better at the end of the day. Yeah, certainly powerful stuff on that. And I can give you one that's a totally different realm. And it, again, just goes to show you what everything can look like. And it'll help, I think, people understand too, to be more cognizant of there's microaggressions in everyday life. You can be, for lack of a better saying, you can be in the room with five people that look exactly like you have the exact same beliefs and feelings. There can still be those going on though, right? I think again, when we think of microaggression just as a buzzword, and I'm putting those in air quotes that nobody can see as they're listening to this, 
sometimes you think, well, if, if I'm in a room of like people, there's just that that's not possible. Well, that that is certainly possible. So I'll give you my example too. Um, so Chad talked about uh, on the outside how he would be profiled as a uh, as a cisgender white male. Well, I'm certainly all of those things. I'm also a straight white male. I'm pretty in terms of if you just cut me out of the the paper of the book, I check most boxes that people would imagine that I check as someone who works in athletics. One thing though, for me is if you know about me, I do have great facial features and wonderful hair, but I I'm also a little heavier set. And by a little, I mean, definitely heavier set. And so that has been something that I think people can have microaggressions on too. So prime example, and this is a quick one that probably nobody has thought of, or maybe you've experienced it and you know how bad it feels, right? All this work in athletics, I have, I'm really lucky to have the opportunity on, on most of my weekends in the fall and in the winter to be in a team setting, right. To, to travel with our teams. And so there's a lot of times that it, that might, might be a team meal, for example. Right. And if you're lucky enough to, to be at a place where this is part of the opportunity, um, it's not rare to be sitting around a table of five or six other people and you might have a wait staff coming up to you, right. And, and helping you serve, serve your meal and, and refill your drinks. I'll tell you this in my lifetime, you, you always get to that person's dinner table or around the table, right. When they're, they've got a dish and they're scooping out different food for everybody around their plate. And then there's just a little bit left in the serving dish. I'm always the first person that, that gets offered the seconds always. Right. And so, and, and why, why is that? Well, I can tell you why it is, and everybody knows why that is. But that's a form of microaggression, in my opinion. And uh, so that's a that's a different example. That has nothing to do with with my race or sexual orientation, but my appearance. I, I've I've dealt with that one myself, actually, from an administrator before. We were out at a team dinner, actually, one time, and they said, "Oh, well, I know you want the bread at the table," and it's like, uh, "Actually, I don't. I'm trying to not." eat things like that. Um, so I, I get that one. I think the one that stands out the most for me when we're relating to the LGBTQ plus topic um, is probably in a job interview that I actually had once um, when the person noticed I had a wedding ring on and asked what quite frankly is an illegal question in a job interview. Um, I didn't mention that part. Um, but they asked, so what does your wife do for a living? And I just very calmly said, well, my husband works for a cell phone retailer. And the interviewer got kind of flustered at that point, um, because it was definitely not the answer that they were expecting. Um, so, you know, it, it come, and a lot of that took me back to that time 20 years before where, I was so deep in the closet that I basically had two different identities. You know, I, I mean, I, I don't know how many people I've ever told this before, but I actually use two different names, one for one for my work and professional life and one for my dating life. Cause I never thought there was any chance those two things would ever intersect. Um, so, but I mean, you know, it, the microaggression can also hit you in a different way. I said, for me, it took me back to being 23 years old again and just starting out in the business. 
Um, and it's like, I can never let anybody know. Um, but I also think that I, I like to think that I handled it in a decent way just by pointing out the fact of the situation as opposed to trying to shame the person about it. And that's one thing that I think is really important is if if we wind up trying to shame somebody for making a microaggression, they're not even going to try in the future. You know, and I think that's I think that's something important, you know, you, you lose the ability to have a teaching moment if you make someone feel badly or awkward about what they've done. Let's bring this back full circle to our role as communicators. Oftentimes communicators that are in a college athletics department and that are dealing with student athletes consistently. We've already talked about the fact that student athletes are typically not always, but in a large uh, population vulnerable in a lot of ways, right? These are really important years, molding years for them on our campus and not always, but a lot of the times us in full-time roles have already experienced a lot of the things they're experiencing. So we're maybe a little bit better equipped to handle those, those challenges when we see them. So Katie, let's talk about what Chad just mentioned. If, if you see a microaggression, if you're noticing that, particularly to student athletes, or in some case, just from staff to staff or whatever it may be, what, what's the role of in terms of getting involved? I mean, where's the line in that? How do you even approach that? What's the right way to go about it? Of course, you don't want to have the student athlete get hurt. You don't want to hurt your relationship with that person. You don't want to make them feel attacked. You don't want to, you don't want to commit a microaggression in the act of trying to call them out for theirs, right? So it's very confusing in a lot of areas. Where do you even start if you're witnessing something like that happen? Yeah, Alex, that's a great question. I mean, I think the first and foremost is not everything's the same. Not every situation is the same. Not every situation warrants the same response. Um, So you have to have some feel. And that comes with the relationships that I think we all pride ourselves on developing with our student athletes, getting to know them as people and not just, you know, what they do within their respective sport. Sometimes it's a situation where you might want to check in on that person after the fact, not in front of their group setting right away and immediate. Um, Other times it might be something you have to step in right away. They, you know, I think getting the input of that person, but also letting them know that you support them um, and that you're here to help them so that they don't have to experience that, I I think is a key point. Um, But I also think you know, this idea of calling in people and to Chad's point of not shaming them, but giving them the opportunity to learn from it. So if you hear that, if you are witness to that, you can simply say, hey, that's not really language we should be using anymore or whatever it might be. Right. Um, And kind of do a corrective like swap. Like, I wonder if we said this instead, if that would be more appropriate for the situation or things like that. And again, Sometimes that's not going to work. Sometimes it's going to have to be a more direct conversation. And anyone who knows me knows that I'm a fairly (laughs) direct person. And Alex laughs because we worked together for for several years. Um, But I think finding that balance of of how you can handle, you know, how you need to handle and address a certain situation, but also make sure you're not assuming what that individual wants or how they want you to handle that situation uh, necessarily either. Chad, let me ask you a question. And this is, I I think it's a pretty straightforward question. I think we'll all have a very similar answer. How do you feel 
when you personally make a mistake, whether it's a, a microaggression, whether it's a mistake in your life, or how do you feel when you make a mistake? I mean, I feel badly about it. Exactly. Because, and and I think, and as I said, as you said, I think we're all going to have a similar answer. I think we all do. And my my instinct is I want to be better. Right. And so if you say, I feel that way, and I think oh, we all feel that way, it's another good point to this. And when we're talking about when you witness some microaggression, what Katie said with the relationship and going to that person who may have committed that, I think it's okay in a lot of <laughs> in a lot of ways to assume that that person did not have the intent of hurting the person that they might have hurt. And I know that we've got to be careful with that because as Katie mentioned, there are different degrees and sometimes it's just downright nasty, right? And so maybe that's where you step in more. But I think assuming that the person who made the microaggression maybe didn't know what they were trying to, what they were saying, what they were trying to do. And then that using that mindset to try to help them through that becomes a more effective way in some ways. So as you were just saying, Chad, with me, I know, if I make a mistake, I want to learn why what I did was wrong, right? And so if somebody comes to me and says, hey, just want you to know, this is a little bit of a red flag. Here's why, right? Not just, hey, do not say that. And so maybe I'm off base there. But for me, I feel like if we use that approach, it's probably more effective. All right. And I think I think you're actually pretty spot on right there. Um, and one thing that Having been fortunate enough to attend NCAA Common Ground in the past, one of the things that I remember being told in that is, as you are talking to somebody, you need to believe that they're coming from a place of good intention um, and that they just might not know what it was that they did wrong because an assumption was made. Um, I, I, that's one of the things that I really try to go into every conversation with is Believing that somebody does come from a place of good intention. I know that not everybody does, but Alice, you, you hit on it right there is most people are going to be and just don't know that they've done something that might not be appropriate for that setting. Yeah. And I think when you, you have both touched on it earlier of if you are someone that's made the mistake and the way you get approached by it is, oh my gosh, you made that mistake terrible. Can't believe you did that. Well, I might still feel bad about it, but I'm sure as heck less likely to go back into the situation that I was in and try to get better from it. And what we don't want is to become more siloed as our, as our individual groups here, right? Because of that, like we don't want it to become more uh, separated once again, where people that maybe are not part of the LGBTQ plus community can't be a part of being an ally, being part of those conversations because they're fearful of how they'll, if, if they'll commit a microaggression and not get treated the right way. Right. And so that's just one example, but I think it's important for us to talk about too, not only just how to protect the people that may be at the receiving end of that, but also help teach and help grow the people that might be there. Because as we started this very podcast with, None of us are perfect. We've all made mistakes, right? There's probably things that we've said in this podcast that somebody listens to and says, I don't think that's right, right? So um, not being above that and realizing everybody's done that and everybody does that, I think is a, is a good way to approach it. And then the follow-up to that is being the person that makes the mistake, right? We're all, we're all that person. So how do we approach that? If you are somebody that's sitting there, as we all have, and said, ooh, yeah, last week I I said something that 
Maybe I shouldn't have. Here's the thing. A lot of the times we know, right, that a lot of the mistakes we make in our life probably go unnoticed. Doesn't make you feel any better about them. But you might say something to a coworker, to a student athlete. I know I do this all the time that somebody didn't call me out on. But when I go home at night and I lay my head on the pillow, I say, I think that came out the wrong way. Or maybe I said that and I shouldn't have said it. So how do we self-monitor that? What do we do to follow up with ourselves on that, both to grow ourselves, but to also be the person? Sometimes you can police yourself, right? And be that person that reaches out to the person you may have hurt. Katie, you mentioned it earlier with your experience that the person who made those remarks to you through in a pretty good way in a lot of ways. So where do we even begin with that? If you're the person that makes the mistake, maybe somebody didn't call you out on it. Just because you don't get caught does not mean you shouldn't try to fix it, right? I think one of the biggest things is accept yourself for who you are. Um, and that doesn't mean don't try to be better every day. That doesn't mean don't try to be better every interaction. But accept that you are going to make mistakes. Um, and accept that you're nobody's perfect and you need to leave yourself room to grow and don't beat yourself up over it. You know, I, to me, that's one of the biggest things. And, you know, that, that is so important for me in many aspects of my life, because once you start to get down on yourself for making a mistake, boy, can it really turn into a spiral that is very, very tough to get out of. And so instead of improving, you just let things snowball and snowball and you never take that step in order to try to get out of it because you withdraw so much from the situation. That's that's one of the biggest things that I try to remember is because I'm not going to be perfect at things, try to give myself you know, Katie, you, you, you refer to it as giving that person a little bit of grace, you know, the first time it happened. Don't be afraid to give yourself that same amount of grace. Chad, I think those are great points. And, and I would say very much the same. Um, I think that giving yourself grace is, is incredibly important. But I also think if you surround yourself with people and you have a good relationship, I think so many things come back to relationships. But if you are in a situation and you have someone you know, after that, when you lay your head on the pillow and you're like, man, I don't think that came out right. I don't think I said that one. Don't always put it on the person who's experiencing the microaggression to be the one to, to say something or to kind of check you on it a little bit. Um, but if there's multiple people in that area and, you know, if it's the three of us and I say something and at the end of the day, I'm like, man, I don't know if that came out right. I'm going to go to Alex because I've known him for, you know, almost eight years and say, Alex, did this sound what I think it's like? And maybe he can help provide me some of that grace, but also he can say, yeah, I just, I didn't really know how to bring it up to you, but I'm glad that you came to me because one, you're having that own realization, which I think shows self-growth, but two, it gives you an opportunity to have a discussion of how could I have done better in that situation? And so you have an action plan moving forward of, what can I do to be better? I think that's an important thing to bring up too, because I also think, especially when we have the discussion around, you know, LGBTQ plus, both of you have, have openly discussed um, your belonging in that community. Obviously, Katie, you're happily married, Chad married as well. And 
I think part of it, and maybe this is something you can answer for me because I know how it is from my side of things and, and the way I believe, but one of the things you just said, Katie, is don't just always wait on the person that was probably affected to, to make the effort, right? Half of the battle, I think maybe more than half the battle, a lot of the times in our relationships and growing in our relationships is the idea of, Hey, that person is trying, that person is understanding that person's, you know, you and I, Katie, may never agree on the on the color, right? Of the our favorite color. You may be steadfast that it's purple and I'm steadfast that that I'm green, right? Or whatever it may be. I guess we're both green at our current location. So that's not a great example. But I don't think that anybody, no matter what our beliefs is or no matter what angle we're we're coming from, I don't think anybody's asking everybody to feel the exact same way they do, to have the exact same beliefs they do, to abide by everything they believe in or think or say, right? Sometimes though, it's just, hey, that person is totally different than me and totally has disagreements with me, but they're willing to have a conversation. They understand the way I feel and they try to understand the way I feel. And so they're pretty cognitive of that. And maybe they don't say certain certain things around me or bring up certain topics that they know I don't want to be a part of, right? And so the reality is, of course, it'd be great if we all lived in a world where all of us agree and and we all believe in the same values, but it also would be not so great in some ways. Part of what makes us great is that we can have three very different backgrounds on this call and talk about that openly. Am I right about that? Some of it's just half the battle, maybe three quarters, like I said, is, hey, that person's actively trying to understand where I'm coming from and the shoes that I'm standing in. May not change who they are at their core, but at least they're trying to understand why they they are the way that they are and I'm the way that I am. You mentioned, you know, the fact that Katie and I are both married. Um, I think one of the things that I try to do is normalize it. Um, You know, I, my husband will come to a lot of our sporting events. So people know who he is around campus. You know, our head coaches of these teams will, will go up to him and say hi to him. just like they would the the spouse of one of their assistant coaches, you know. So to me, that's that's a big part of trying to trying to get people to understand things is is said to normalize it. Um, and it's it's actually brought our relationship closer together because it's allowed him to express a side of himself that I don't think that he was ever necessarily comfortable with before, you know, where he is able to be that crazy fan at a gate. Um, I mean, we even got to a point where he, he participated in an on-court contest this year at one of our basketball games Um, and saying in public for the first time that I ever saw him do that, even though I know he can't. So as I said, to me, it's a lot to me. Trying to make the effort is a lot about normalizing the situation and letting people see that I'm no different. Did he win the contest, Chad? I mean, I feel like that's an important thing for the listeners to know. Yes, it was, you know, it was definitely a, uh, it was definitely a win. And I definitely have the video saved on my phone. (laughs) That's fantastic. That's great. I do think the normalizing piece is important. I think it not only makes, you know, and you kind of talked about it, but it makes me feel fully present. I mean, our softball team got my wife a bucket hat 
in a Titan softball mom shirt because she's like just as much one of their fans as if any of their moms. Um, so when she watches a game, she might sit on the couch and put it on and have our, you know, game streamed on the TV if she's not, you know, at, at the game. Um, but I think just having that so open allows the student athletes to be more open with you too. Um, and it gives them a sense of, okay, I know I can go to this person if I'm struggling with something in this situation. And I think that that's really powerful. I want to, I want to jump on to that because you, you kind of looped into a topic that I was, that I've been thinking about is we talked about the vulnerability of student athletes. And we've talked about how this is such an important time in our student athletes lives, you know, and we, we so often think of people, people patterning themselves after somebody else when they're younger. Well, how we act, how we present ourselves around any sort of a topic, trust me, your student athletes notice. You know, and an example that I'll give is I was a safe space coordinator at one of my previous institutions, and I had the rainbow sticker outside of my office. You know, there's a student athlete that I knew for four years never said anything. And at the end of their four years, came in, got all of the photos we had of them, all the video content, everything that we had had from them from a media perspective for the previous four years. And, uh, you know, wish the person luck. And as they were leaving, they just kind of turned back around and said, thank you. And said, yeah, no problem. I think there's about 2000 files on there. So you know, you're going to want to take some time to go through them. And they said, no, I want to thank you for the sticker you have outside of your office. And we just kind of looked at each other and the person nodded. And that was their way of coming out to me. And they said, you know, anytime I had any sort of an issue with the team that I was on, anytime that I was in a tough spot, anytime I came to talk to a coach, I knew that if I wanted to, there was somebody that I could talk to about what I was going through. And that that's the sort of thing that I'm talking about when people look at what you do and how you carry yourself. Even if it's not your intent to be a role model, even if it's not your intent to be the trailblazer, people follow and understand what you are doing and look at how they want to react or how they want to handle a situation. Yeah, those are all really good points. A great example too. Um, we could go for six hours. I know. Um, I also know that I host a podcast every week for Eastern Michigan University, and it does not matter how great the interview is. If we go much past what we've gone now, people will stop listening. And so if we're, if we're super um, convicted that we need to go for another two hours, we certainly can, and I will be here for it. But I thought maybe we could bring it just back to the focus of student athletes and our microaggressions real quick, and maybe one final thought from each of you to answer one more question each. And then, like you said, you can tell me that we're that we need to keep going or not. But a couple of things that we can move forward with from this podcast, somebody's listening and make it and use it in our real world life, right? So don't know who wants to answer this one, but I've got two questions. And the first one is, 
what a microaggression is or if something that you say often or isn't, how do you go about even trying to figure out if that's a microaggression? Is it okay to ask somebody? Did you just go to the Google machine? I mean, how do you figure that out? Alex, you save them the hardest questions for last. <laughs> I mean, I think finding ways to educate yourself first and foremost, I think helps kind of avoid those situations. Um, whether that's reading something, whether that's listening to this podcast and and hopefully more, you know, of people that are far smarter than the three of us um, in other areas. Um, and I think, again, like just understanding, I went to Google because I figured why not just give the, the straight up definition, but a statement, action, or incident regarded as an instance of indirect, subtle, or unintentional discrimination against members of a marginalized group, such as a racial or ethnic minority, sexual orientation, etc. I think, again, it says right in there, unintentional, and it's underlined if you Google it. Um, but I think having having the understanding that you only know what you know is a great place to start. And that, if you can remember that, then I think you can help hopefully decrease, again, we're not going to all be perfect, but at least make you more aware and, and avoid those type of situations. Building off of that, it goes back to don't assume. We've, we've often, I'm sure a lot of us have heard the old adage about the word assume i don't need to go into it because we do want to keep this a at least a pg rated podcast um but at the end of the day don't assume you know something about somebody because it's when you make assumptions that you know something about somebody because they look like you they are outward facingly like you that's when you have the potential to do the most harm honestly I think that's great advice. I also think sometimes too, it just boils back to what in a lot of ways all of our parents probably told us. If if you if you don't know the answer, you don't have to say it either, right? I mean, it's okay. No, it's it's good to ask questions, it's good to have a conversation. But we have a football coach here at Eastern that uh is pretty adamant about cutting down on the use of swear words. I'll just say it how it is. And so everybody's kind of like what are you talking about? Like, come on, these are college athletes. You're going to hear the swear words and whatnot. And Healy says really plainly, hey, listen, you can either choose to use the word or you, or you don't, right? Like, I swore I was like a, swaler, a sailor until I was 16, and then I stopped because I can stop. You have that control. So if you don't know of something, if, if it's going through your head of, I say this, I'm, I might offend somebody. Maybe just don't say it, right? Or find a different way to say it. Usually that's at least our gut and our heart are usually pretty good compasses in a lot of ways. If we go back to what we talked about earlier with, I think most people have decent intentions if you believe that about people. So if you don't know, just say it. Don't, don't say it. And then Katie mentioned earlier, I've got a great relationship with Katie. She's got a great relationship with me. Everybody has those people in their lives, right? That hopefully you're enriching yourselves by having friends or mentors or whatever that are in totally different categories than you and that have totally different life experiences. I know that I could call Katie and say, hey, I use this phrase a lot, just throwing this out there. What do you think? And she would tell me, honestly, hey, I don't think it's an issue. Maybe it is, or here's some perspective. So continuing to educate yourself in those ways too, and to be open to other people's perspectives and their opinions and hear that out and then use your best calculation to move forward, I think is a good one. And then the last question I had for you guys too, is you both gave examples 
great examples of of being at the at the receiving end of microaggressions. We've both we've all seen student athletes being at the receiving end. They're not going anywhere, right? I mean, we could dish this podcast out to anybody, and people are still going to make mistakes. People are still going to choose not to listen. And so, like all the problems we have, progress has been made. It'll continue to be made, and that's something to absolutely celebrate. But in five years, this is still going to be affecting people, right? And so, from our positions as people that are that are in contact with a lot of student athletes that may be at the receiving end of microaggressions, or coaches, or ourselves, or staff, how do you defend against it? What what do you how do you react? We've talked a lot about how you react if you see somebody committing a microaggression. We've talked a lot about how you react if you commit one. How do you react if you receive one? How do you go forward? How do you uh, process that? Because I know everybody's different, but if it affects you and it's affecting you. How do you how do you begin to go through that healing process? As much as we want to accept that we aren't going to be perfect, we also need to expect that other people aren't going to be also. And so because of that, yes, you you are going to be on the receiving end of those microaggressions. And because of that, you need to give them the same grace that you would give yourself. Uh, we, you know, and that's something that we talked a lot about. And sometimes it's easier to do that for somebody else. But at the same time, you also need to find a way, whether it's a subtle way of letting them know, like when I was in that job interview and I mentioned that my husband worked in a certain industry instead of the assumption that it was my wife, you know, just in a subtle way, mentioning that or specifically calling them out on it. You need to find some way to let them know that it really didn't sit too well with you. But I'm not mad. Just try to learn from it. By the way, Chad, I like what you said there. It's not easy to do that, right? It is the hardest thing to do in life in a lot of cases is extend grace. It's not easy. The easiest thing is to blow up at somebody. The easiest thing is to... to pity yourself and hate the world and hate that person, right? It's not an easy process to find the way to forgive somebody, to extend grace before they may even know that they did something wrong. That's a conscious decision you have to make, and it's a process you have to go through. But it sounds like, Chad, in your experience, and I'll let Katie jump in on this as well, that despite the fact that that can be a hard thing to do, it ultimately is worth it because it usually benefits the person you're extending the grace to, but it also benefits yourself. Um, from that psychological well-being standpoint. It it does. And I remember reading something somewhere that talked about forgiveness. And forgiveness is less for the forgiven and more for the forgiver. Because it in many ways says, I understand that I may have been wronged and I am willing to go beyond that. Um, and, you know, and that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about give that person a little bit of grace. And if you can find a way to do that within yourself, and, you know, it, it definitely is not easy sometimes, but if you can find a way to do that within yourself, you grow from the fact that you know that this person did not intend to harm you. And Katie, as you read off the definition, unintentional underlined, they didn't intend to harm you. You know that you're allowed to, allowing yourself to move beyond that, 
but at the same time, you're also helping the other person to grow. That's the ultimate best outcome, in my opinion. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Chad. I think the one thing, I think the forgive piece is really important. How freeing in some ways that can be for for you in that situation where it might have caused you some pain. Um, But I also think that, you know, those those situations are learning opportunities for everybody. Um, and you know, if as much as it hurts, I think reminding people, like if Alex says something to me, I mean, again, Alex and I have talked about our relationship. We talk on the phone here and there, we throw ideas back and forth. If he said something to me, I would bring it up and say, Hey, I just want you to know this didn't sit well with me. Um, it hurt me. I'm not upset. I'm not mad at you but it did upset me. And I feel like because our relationship means a lot to me, you should be aware of that. I think the other thing that maybe I do and sometimes subconsciously do is I try and make sure people know before, right? Because we've talked a lot about, you know, ignorance in that maybe they just didn't know. They assume your identity. They assume that I am married to a man and they ask me what my husband does, or they ask you what your wife does, Chad. And so I find opportunities to to make sure that I clarify that before and hope that that avoids some of those situations, just from that simple educational piece of you cannot assume certain things about me. Um, but I think forgiveness is hard and those are hard. Those are hard conversations just as many others are. Um, but if you can do that, I think your relationship and your friendship and all of that just gets better. Well, hopefully the people listening to this podcast can forgive me for my rambling and us for our blunders and mistakes throughout because as we, but we, we told you right at the start, none of us are perfect. And we certainly displayed that today, but I'm glad for the conversation because I think I grew from it. I hope you two did. And I hope everybody listening was able to do that as well. So Katie Gonzalez, Chad Cooper, thank you so much for the conversation. And we hope uh, to see everybody continuing to have the conversation. Thanks for joining us for our podcast. You can find this podcast and so much more DEI-specific content at collegesportscommunicators.com backslash CSC for change.